Oh, before we start off this edition of the Give Me a Sense podcast with Pro Bowl quarterback Jake Plummer, just want to remind everyone we are giving away a pair of Bose QC35 headphones. They are noise cancellation, they are wireless, and they are the best headphones that I have ever owned. They've sent me a few pairs to give out to some of our listeners, and all you have to do to win a pair is rate, subscribe, and review the Give Me a Sense podcast on iTunes. Kevin Connors is going to be the last guest in the month of September, and Kev's going to pick a number between one and however many reviews that I have at that point. He picks your number. I will send you a brand new pair of these headphones that retail for $350. So without further ado, let's get to it. Jake Plummer. Getting benched towards the end of my career, retiring. They still trade me to Tampa. I didn't want to play in Tampa. I was done. You know, not let that bother me because that was just part of the process. But to look back on what I did, know now that I can influence a lot of people in a real positive way and really you know, own what I did. What I did was amazing. And and I never thought I would even play in the league. And now I damn near accomplished my dream. Yeah. I damn near won a Super Bowl. I got a chance to play for a Super Bowl. And from a little kid with that dream and the whole path I went on, man, I did so many fun things that uh, I'm so proud of it and what I've accomplished that I got to live, continue to live that life with that kind of personality and attitude and hope for the, to spread it to these guys that may not be feeling the same way. You watched them. You cheered for them. Maybe you booed them. You listened to them. You were impressed by them. Today, they share their favorite memories with you. It's the Give Me a Sense podcast. Here's your host, Mike Yam. Well, we're a full swing right now into the college football season, and the NFL season has officially kicked up as well. And thinking about doing this podcast, there's one guy that had a tremendous amount of success at the college level that I've been fortunate enough to, to work with and call a friend, and he thrived in the NFL as well. Jake Plummer is our next guest. Jake, always great to, to have a conversation with you. It's been a while since I, I've been able to catch up with you in person or even on the phone. Yeah, it has been a while. It's nice to uh, to talk to you. I always uh, enjoy coming down to San Fran and getting to hang there at the Pac-12 studios. So I uh, might not be doing as much of that this year, but still uh, glad to join you on your podcast. Well, you're, you're staying busy, and there's no doubt about that because you're working with all these different groups. We're going to talk about that. You have your own podcast, Snakes Takes, which you can find on 5280 Sports Network. But I, I want to circle back because I make reference to your time as a college player. And obviously, an All-American at Arizona State, you were a Pac-10 player of the year. Uh, not to date yourself, obviously, with the 10 versus the 12, but uh, obviously a high-round draft pick, number two, uh, second round, I should say, to the Arizona Cardinals. Not to mention you were a pro bowler as well. So you've accomplished Accomplished a ton on the football field, but how does a guy from Boise, Idaho, end up playing college football at Arizona State? Uh, good recruiting, I guess you could say. And uh, this was back, you know, in '93, before all you know there was there were the magazines out there that would rank players, uh, but there would think there was only one at the time. So a lot of it was, you know, recruiting, word of mouth, coaches that would you know talk to each other. You know, I was really lucky to have a head coach, uh, Steve Vogel, at, a, at at Capitol High School there in Boise, that I came to find out later on after all the you know recruiting went down, all the teams that were interested had been sending out videos, VCR tapes. And it was, this was back in the VCR days, man. To to any coach that sent any inquiry at all, I mean, he was um, you know just one of those coaches you come across. He played. 
a short time in the NFL with the with the Bills. I think he had a year or two and played at Boise State, but just a guy who really cared about his players, and it showed because he he helped spread videotapes out to a lot of schools that maybe you know would have overlooked me or not not seen what I had accomplished at, at the high school level. And uh, the recruiting process with ASU was great. Those guys were the first team to call me the summer before my senior year. They they said I was their number one. They wanted me, and that was it. And that kind of commitment from them at the age I was and, and throughout that recruiting process, you know, with Bruce Snyder saying, you know, if you come to ASU, we'll win a national championship. And me being about 168 pounds and 6'2", going, <laughs> what, me? And no other team said that. So really that's what sold me on ASU. And looking back on it, it was a great decision. Sending VHS tapes, is this crazy? Do I have to explain <laughs> what a VHS tape is? So you think some of the audience I don't know what VHS stands for anymore? Yeah. You know the the deal was you know you I mean I have I have a lot of games on VHS tapes. It just depends on whether you know we recorded a MacGyver episode episode over them or something back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> because it's crazy because that actually gets kind of expensive. Because I I used to when I graduated college I had to send out actual dvds or cds of my work because i was i was wasn't sure if i could go the radio path or the tv path you know that adds up in vhs tapes for you know i think if we have some young listeners like ask your parents what that is because th- those are like <laughs> those are those are big things to send out in the mail that got expensive oh yeah you know and that i didn't know that was happening until later on and uh that's why you know i felt so special to have a coach that really cared and uh without that I was still going to get recruited. I went to Stanford quarterback receiver camp where I stood out in a foot speed drill, had the fastest feet in the entire camp of all these uh-huh. high high five-star, four-star recruit profile guys out of California. Uh, so I really was able to, to – when I did that, I kind of made a mark. Terry Shea was down there at Stanford, and, and he was a guy who knew a lot of coaches. So when once he – you know saw me and saw what I was capable of doing and and I was able to hang with these big California kids with all the big guns and that kind of put me on the map a little bit but but my coach coach Vogel really did a lot to help me you know get get the eye of a lot of recruiters. Jake do you think is the goal in high school for you to play in the NFL because nowadays because you mentioned all the recruiting services you attributed stars four and five star guys you know all these guys think that they're going to be playing not only high-end college football but but also playing at the NFL level and I'm curious at at you know six two buck 65 or so do you think to yourself hey NFL is actually like a, a, not only a dream but something that you, you actually believed you could achieve well it was always a dream from being a kid and and growing up playing junior high through high school it was always just a dream, you know, something that you know, as an end result would be amazing to have the opportunity. Thinking back to that being, you know, 17, 18 years old, I didn't make any decision based on what my pro status was going to be or what my options or ability to make it to the pros would be. I knew that just getting to a college would be the next step in that, that direction, you know, along the way to achieve your dream. I was able to you know, set set goals, which were get a division one scholarship somehow, some way to a team that played football. And I was able to accomplish that. The next step then I kind of did them in steps was not, not, you know, a goal was to start at ASU to start in college. And when, once that started my freshman year, there you go. I was one step closer to an NFL dream come true, but I still had to go play, still had to accomplish a lot, uh, get through, you know, the four seasons there at ASU. And even after my junior year, a reporter asked me, 
are you coming out this year? And I said, what? What do you mean, coming out? You know, yeah, you're going to come and enter the draft. I was just shaking my head. Like, you know, there's no way I'm in, entering the draft. I'm, i got one more year of work to do here at ASU, and once that happens, we'll see what happens. But I, I never, ever had that my, as my end game. It was always uh, trying to stay immersed and, cur- and right there where I was at ASU, put all my work, all my thoughts and efforts into trying to win ball games, which ultimately culminated in a great year in 96. You mentioned high school, and then you go to a camp, and you shine there, but there's these guys, you know, some of the bigger arms in terms of, like, big bodies and, and looking the part. I'm circling back in my head to, to sort of what that must have been like for you as as a high school athlete. And there's actually another podcast that's out there, a good friend of mine, Beto uh, Duran, the Living the Dream podcast, which is great. He had, you know, one of his friends that was on that was in the Mets organization that that was that stands 5'7", and, and talked about sort of the size and the maybe not necessarily intimidating. But what happens when you're, um, you know, surrounded by guys who are, are, are that look the part? At what point do you say to yourself at that size, like, is that almost like I don't want to say an intimidation factor, but something that's circling in your head, in your mind, where you're really aware of the measurables when you look at yourself compared to other people? Because I even remember you on set talking about your combine experience when <laughs> when, 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 when guys are kind of in their, uh, their tidy whities out there and, and it's all these, you know, offensive linemen and just guys that are just massive men. Yeah, you know, size never ever, you know, crept into my mind about, you know, whether I would accomplish what I was setting out to do. I never put too much emphasis on, on my size. I think everybody else around me did. My mom my family, coaches. I remember multiple times trainers would come over after I got blasted on the field and they, would, they wouldn't leave me alone. They thought that this kid has to be hurt, and I wasn't. I was uh, luckily grew up with two older brothers that, that taught me how to dodge things that were being thrown at me, uh, learned how to take a, a punch because I, I got plenty of those rained down on me from my brothers. And just they helped make me tough, I guess, learn how to fall, learn how to not get hurt and, and being big or small or muscular or whatever it was, I was, I was lucky. I was wiry and I was, uh, strong. And also I was kind of an outcast, you know, just this kid with a nasty mullet coming into Stanford. Uh, like who is this guy weighing 165, but I still could sling the ball. You know, I was able to throw the ball and I, you know, I attribute that to my brothers that spent countless hours forcing me to play catch. Even when I couldn't hold the ball, I still was able to hold it in my hand and play catch with them. So I wasn't really intimidated uh, when I got there. I, I was able to to hang with these guys that were getting a lot of recruit recruited, you know, getting recruited around the country. And like I said, they all had five and four stars by their name. And I guess I was a three star because I came from a small school. But I was able to compete and, and get my name out there. Um, I never really worried about my size. I never really uh, thought oh, I need to be. 6'4", 230, or 220, like the prototypical QB. I was just happy to have what I, the skill set I had, and I made the most out of it. Jake, what's it like being the quarterback at ASU? You know, it was fun. I, I really never you know, bought into the whole, I'm the quarterback at ASU, and, and people all the time like, oh, that must have been crazy. You're the QB at ASU. It was. It was great. I made a lot of great friends. I had a lot of great teammates, but I wasn't, as you know, from working with me, you know, there's, there's certain guys that that their ego enters the room before they do. And if they do enter the room, they want to make sure everybody knows they're there. I was just the opposite. I like to just kind of sneak in, be behind the scenes, checking stuff out, having fun, be with my friends, 
So ASU was a, a real big eye-opener for me to be down away from family and friends on my own and playing football with guys from Texas, uh, all the way from Texas, California, Some guy, a couple guys from Florida. So for me, it was it was great. It was just a whole lot of fun hanging out with dudes that I, I'd never been exposed to, uh, guys from way different cultures than I grew up in. Uh, and becoming friends, becoming brothers, and, and really forming a bond that, that lasts even today after seeing all those guys for our 20-year our Rose Bowl reunion this last weekend. It was just, we were a great cast of guys that got along, had a lot of fun. And I, I, I have to admit, you know, ASU, the, the women in ASU, the good-looking girls walked around, kept me from sleeping in. Man, I had to get up and go to class because <laughs> there were good-looking girls out there, so it kept me out on campus going to class. Uh, that was a little bit of my motivation other than just making sure I stayed eligible. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. funny because, as you know, Jake, and we've actually been down on campus together uh, you know, a couple years ago for our training camp tour. But the more you go around the Pac-12 conference, you know, you can see sort of the appeal not only from some of the perspective that you're saying, but but also just, uh, you know, just having a lot of fun, enjoying that college process. And yeah. I'm curious because I, I think down the road I'm going to get you back on the show to talk about your combine experience because you've told me so oh, many man. stories about that. <laughs> but when you get drafted, you, you played college ball at Arizona State, you get drafted by the Arizona Cardinals. What's that, that feeling like knowing that you're sort of still kind of in that same community now? You know, at first it was tough. I, I kind of uh, was hoping to, you know, experience a new place. Uh, you feel that kind of you know, comfort zone slip away and have to get reacquainted with a whole new community and, and move and kind of enjoy a, a different place that I'd never been and then in retrospect, it was the greatest thing that ever happened because I had a, a huge loyal fan base from, from what we had accomplished as a team in 96 and then the 97 Rose Bowl, you know, that, that year, you know, put a stamp on ASU, brought us, brought that school back into the fold as a legitimate, you know, to a program. So going right to the Cardinals, uh, I didn't have to relocate. Uh, a lot of things were nice about that. It was, it was really, uh, like I said, at first, kind of disappointed I wanted to tr see a new city but but as things went on it was uh it was awesome a lot of great opportunities to to do some good things in the community uh with my foundation and and just have friends there have a support cast already there not having to be alone in a new city uh it was was really nice it was really helpful uh, my first start in the NFL you know I threw four interceptions and every time coming back on the field the the crowd cheered which there ain't a few, very many cities across the league that that would happen at. I probably would have been benched had I got had I done that now. But at, at Arizona, there with the Cardinals, you know, I had a I had a big following, a lot of fans from ASU, and then you know became it Cardinal fans, and it was comforting knowing that those guys were in the stands rooting for me. I, I, I look this this podcast is all about stories. You had made reference to it. You said, "Hey, I kind of wanted to experience another another different a, a different area, a different city." I, I just want to paint a picture for people who maybe don't really necessarily believe that initially. I know you as a guy that comes down to San Francisco, hangs out with us in our studios. Jake legitimately, for anyone who's listening to this podcast, is a guy that wants to explore. I mean, how many times and we, we've gone out to dinner? You like the 
the, uh, you know, finding that path, just figuring out, just kind of roaming the streets of San Francisco until you kind of stumble on something as opposed to going to the, the popular place. So I can see sort of your mindset and you almost being disappointed uh, by that. I, we went to that Chinese restaurant one time. I don't remember where the heck that was. We just turned turned down the street and said, let's just go here. No yeah. idea what it was. Uh, ended it was up being good. pretty good, too. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. You can kind of, you can look and research, do all that, but sometimes you find little hidden gems when you never know uh, what you're going to get into. And that, yeah, that's how I've always kind of approached life in a way is, you know, it's fun to have a path, uh, you know, a path set out and a schedule to follow, but sometimes uh, you, know, you get off of that and have a lot of fun times and things you never expect to happen, happen. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm on my phone looking at Yelp saying, hey, this is not popping up on, on the Yelp screen. <laughs> uh, but but look, so you're at Arizona. What's the transition? How difficult is that? We had Matt Leinert on on the uh, on the podcast early on. I think he might have been the second episode for the show. And Matt sort of talked about that quarterback room and and sort of learning the playbook and what those what that experience was like for him. What was it like for you as a rookie, or even those first few seasons with the Cardinals? You know, it was it was a big adjustment. You know, I I, didn't, I never expected to come in and even make it to the league, you know, so getting drafted and getting that opportunity, uh, it was really, it was really awesome just to be uh, in the NFL now. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta realize that that's not where it ends. You just still have to do a lot of work and keep, keep learning. So I had a lot to learn. I knew, I knew quite a bit about football, but I really didn't know the ins and outs and all the little intricacies and defensive fronts and alignments like these kids that in high school know now. I mean, I, I wasn't behind the scenes. It's just I hadn't spent a ton of time, uh, you know, delving into all of what encompasses a defense. So that was a big learning experience, knowing, you know, coming across teams that were going to throw crazy looks at you. Uh, like I mentioned in my first game, I mean, I threw a couple side adjusts, which are when you get blitzed and you have nobody to protect, you call them side adjusts or you call them hot routes. So there's a guy free, and you got to get the ball to him when there's dudes barreling down on you. I threw a couple side adjusts to the wrong side of the field. Uh, hit the back of one of my buddies, Anthony Edwards, was a receiver. Hit his back, bounced up, interception, and he turns around looking at me like, what the heck? I wasn't hot, you know, but I, I was just – my head was spinning because it moved so fast. Um, you mentioned Matt Leinert, and it's funny because my, my first action in the preseason – was I, I believe was against the Raiders and we were in Tempe and, and it was moving fast. You know, it was like, wow, okay, this is, this is the NFL that, you know, thinking there was some amazing jump in the football that we were going to play, that it was going to be this different game. It really wasn't, it was still football. And I actually went into that game when I went out there, I was like, okay, this is Oakland. Who's, and, and at that time I didn't think much like, okay, California, who's this going to, it's just USC. They're just wearing black and silver. It's just USC. I beat USC before. Let, let's go out there. And so I just pictured it as guys, because a lot of them were still straight out of college, just like me. But it was just it's one step up. It's still football. Go out there and play it. And that helped me just realize, you know, you're playing against the best of the best, but it's still football. You still got to take the snap, you know, make your read, throw the ball on time, and then the guy's got to catch the ball. It was still just the game. Uh, it still it helped to get me through that preseason and uh, even into like practice being the, the kind of the hot kid coming out of ASU I, I, dealing with the, the veterans was probably the most fun I had. Cause they, they, they love a kid like me that, that comes in ready to do whatever and try to make the team and be a great teammate. So I had a lot of great 
moments with guys like Kevin Butler and Jeff Fiegels and Larry Sinners, Lomas Brown, all these old vets that have been doing it. They loved it. They were they were they were messing with me quite a bit. Um, but in practice, I had fun. That's where I really learned, you know, what I could do in the league and what I knew I, you know, was going to need to move on from. And that that was a big learning experience because those guys, uh, you know, the ball that hits the ground in college with a bad throw is usually coming back at you uh, as an interception going the other way. And and those guys don't let you get away with very many mistakes as I was learning quickly. Uh, it's funny, two weeks in a row now, a Lomas Brown reference. We had uh, Glenn Parker Ooh. on the podcast, and Glenn talked about him being one of his, his favorite teammates. And then out of the blue, you bring up Lomas' name as well. Certainly oh, one yeah. of the uh, the good guys. And actually, and I made reference to this last week on the show, I got to work with him a little bit when I was at ESPN and truly one of the biggest teddy bears that I've oh, ever encountered in my entire dude. life. Great yeah. guy, great but, player. Not a big guy, not uh huge all the intangibles it's all relative by the way jake he is a big dude to me i said that's all relative because he's a big dude to me (laughs) but not you know you're you're six six 310 pound typical guy i mean he he was a technique guy he was awesome lomas brown what a great player yeah great guy as well um what's that low point at arizona the low point was tough, you know, when, when, you know, we did a lot of great things right away. Uh, you know, I, I was able to start my fresh or my rookie year, which I was totally unexpected. Um, and then that next year with the veterans we had and, and just, uh, a, a magical year again happened in 98 when we made a playoff run, made the playoffs for the first time in, in 15 years. I think it was the first time since they'd been in the Valley that we made the playoffs uh, we won a playoff game for the first time in 50 years. That's 5-0, 50 years they hadn't won a playoff game. So we did some really big stuff, and it just so happened they were voting for the stadium at that point. And uh, just a great team. After that, I think the low point was when we were unable to keep some of the veterans that were so key to that 98 team. Uh, I re-signed a huge contract, and uh, I, I understand now with these young kids you know, like an Andrew Luck, I worry for him because they gave him so much money that I hope they're they're still building a team around him because this Q, the QBs were just one part of this whole equation. I mean, we got to have guys in front of us that play well and and know what they're doing and are motivated and work hard. And there was just a tough, tough deal that next year broke. I I, I ripped my thumb up in the preseason and tried to play through it and had just an awful year through. I think I threw 24 picks that year and. Just tough because we came off such a such a high in '98, uh, such a great season, very memorable to this day season that that people still talk about, and then had such a struggle that next year. That was that was kind of a low point. I kind of saw the business side of the NFL also, uh, you know, where a guy like Larry Centers is cut uh, or released because of money and let go, even though. You know, those are the guys you've got to keep around. Those are the guys that you see these teams that win consistently. They keep those guys around, those veteran leaders that you can count on, not only in practice and meeting rooms, but on main things on game day to show up and play. So that was really an eye-opener for me uh, to understand a little more of the business side of things. And uh, a couple couple tough seasons there, 3-13. and 13, uh, We lost a lot of games, and it was hard to see – you know, guys that I, I, I had trusted in, uh, you know, throw in the towel midseason and, and leave, you know, not come in there with their heart and play hard. Meanwhile, I was scrapping and trying as best I could to, to do something. And it just, um, you know, it was tough. It was a tough spot to be in there. But still, outside of the game and, uh, you know, with my guys, I had a ton of fun. That was kind of my whole thing was always to 
to have fun, let the game be big, but not to control the way you feel outside of it. You use the term business to describe, you know, parts of the NFL and that experience for you. You you and took part in that business side as well. You, you, as a free agent, you go into free agency, end up in Denver with the Broncos. How does that process work for you? I mean, is that did, was the goal to stay? Did you want to leave? Why Denver? What was it about Shanahan that that sort of maybe there was some appeal at least initially when you got there? You know, I, I, I it's a good question. I need to ask my agent even because. You know, the, the Cardinals never really even discussed trying to keep me. They, I guess they just figured I was gone, that I was out of there and I didn't like it there and, and whatnot. I mean, I, I would have gladly stayed in Arizona had I, show, had I been shown the commitment level that I, that I felt I had put forth to building what I was hoping would be a good team, a competitive team. And they just, you know, let me become a free agent and, and, and play my, you know, my last game with the Cardinals was, uh, I believe, was in Denver. So I was able to play in the city that I ended up going to, and I can remember coming off that field. The t- the fans were were chanting, "We want Jake," because they wanted me to come there. They wanted me to be their quarterback, and I remember that. And I remember that day. And I remember feeling, "Wow, this is an organization." I mean, these fans are going crazy. Uh, it was just a little bit different, you know, a championship caliber organization. Not that the Cardinals weren't, but they were still learning how to become that. And uh, being a free agent was fun. Uh, it, it was a little, uh, you know, a little, little bit of unnerving and kind of trepidation going in, knowing you got to relocate to a brand new city. Again, what I was craving as a rookie, I came to be a little bit uh, hesitant towards later on in my career because you got to uproot everything, move, everything changes. Uh, but Chicago and Denver were really the two teams that uh, were, were pursuing me to be their quarterback. Uh, of course, it felt great to be, you know, kind of recruited again, going out and, and seeing these organizations, seeing the facilities that they had, meeting other players. Ultimately, I made a decision to go to the Broncos uh, because I wanted to win a Super Bowl. And, you know, decisions you make, you look back on, you know, the, the, the Bears went to the Super Bowl that next year. So I, I might have gone to the wrong team. But I, I know that in, in hindsight, I went to the perfect organization for me. A team, uh, you know, the Broncos were able to resurrect my career, and, and we did some great things. But that whole free agency thing, it is, uh, it is interesting. And uh, I never, ever played the game for the money. I actually took less money to play in Denver just because I wanted to be in a city that, that was built on winning championships. How would you characterize your stay there? Because you said, hey, they, they, the fans wanted you. They're chanting, we want Jake. When you're playing uh, with the Cardinals at that point and you're, you're in Denver for that last game, uh, obviously they, they made a strong pitch because it's a, a destination that you ended up choosing over a city and a team like Chicago. So when you look back, what was what's sort of the highs and the lows of your stay with the Broncos? Well, you know, it was just a lot of fun to be in an organization. Uh, you know, there were there were big differences that – we could have an entire like five-part series podcast on as far as organizations, uh, and I won't get into that because you know both both of them were are, are you know at this point doing well, doing great things, and it's a growing process. Uh, but for me, getting here to Denver, you know, just playing with the guys and the standard that we set, and and getting in in you know in the mix with them was a lot of fun. Uh, to 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 be honest, the, the big year we had, you know, in 05 where we almost made the Super Bowl was was amazing and also, uh, you know, bittersweet really because, God, we get so close to achieving 
my dream, you know, as a kid to play in the Super Bowl. Uh, and we got one game away. So those that was really the, the that was a great season. I mean, we put together two 13 and three seasons here with the Broncos. And if you remember me mentioning, we had a couple three and 13 seasons with the Cardinals. So drastic change as far as uh, just the culture of winning and, and the feelings that, you know, Hey, this is not a maybe kind of game. This is, we're going to win this game. We're going to definitely compete knowing full well every year we're going to be in the playoffs. And uh, we were able to do that. So going to the playoffs um, was awesome. That first year, the second year, even though we took a beating from Peyton Manning, it was just nice to have a second season and not already be making plans for what I was going to do in January, uh, you know, in November or even sooner a couple times, like, all right, let's start planning our, our getaway in January. Uh, it was nice to to still be playing meaningful games late into December when your body was, was banged up. And that's when you really joined together as a team and, and bonded even stronger. And we had a great crew of guys in, in Denver, um, you know, Shanahan, a brilliant offensive mind. And then I had Kubiak who was able to, take all of Shanahan's crazy late middle of the night, you know, you know, clips he'd find and putting in some crazy play last minute, you know, Coobs was able to able to kind of buffer, be a buffer between Shanahan and myself. And I was cool with, with plays that I knew what I was doing, but when you're adding plays like Friday afternoon after practice, before we get on a plane, that was tough for me. So Kubiak was great playing for him. That's why I, you know, I'm, Right now I'm a Broncos fan because I love Gary Kubiak and want to see him do well. Uh, I had a great time. I had a lot of phenomenal football players that I played with on, on both the Cardinals and the Broncos. But, you know, the Broncos, there was there was quite a few guys that are Hall of Famers already, you know, that are on, the, on consideration for it. And um, just a great experience overall. Jake, is that normal? On a Friday, you're hopping onto a plane, and all of a sudden, you know, there, there's plays that are be thrown your way. I mean, just from talking to other guys, like that seems not the norm. But you, you well, did it, so you tell me. Yeah, you know, and that what it was was what was nice is having a guy like Gary Kubiak who played the quarterback position that would you know he'd fight for us. He'd fight and say, you know, this is not going to change the game. You got to let these guys go into it, you know, knowing what they're doing. Uh, and so that was nice because even if the play went in. You know, there were times where Coos would say, you know, I'm, I'm, I won't call that. Don't worry. I'm not going to go near that play. But sometimes Shanahan, being the type of coach he was and, and in control, would, you know, override and send the play in himself. And that was just what he put on his quarterbacks, which I was fine with. Uh, you know, I'd just do a little extra studying. But it wasn't my favorite thing that, to have pl- ch- uh, plays change that late in the ball in the ball game because I just wanted to go in and uh, coach call the play. If it doesn't work, I'll make something happen. Uh, hopefully it won't make a bad play. And that was more of my, my mindset. Jake, and I want to talk a little bit about some of the things you're doing away from football now, but why is that difficult? Explain to someone who's never played the position, never played in the NFL, never been in a quarterback room, what, why is adding a play on a Friday or a couple plays on a Friday, why does that make things difficult for a quarterback? Well, you go through the week preparing and you do your own study on a team. You break them down defensively so you know – you hope to know what some of their tendencies are, at least know how guys play. Um, film study to me was, was difficult. Uh, you know, I was not like a Peyton Manning who grew up around football and knew, you know, all the stuff that he knew when he was much younger than me. I was more or less learning on the run and I'd watch film of the defense to get a feel for, for how they played, you know, how to approach them. 
and then coaches were really a big help in helping me, you know, find tendencies and, and know who to go after and what plays work versus this and that. But when you change a play or you add a play late in a week of preparation, you know, it just throws you out of your comfort zone because it's nice when you can implement a play, uh, go out on the practice field, face even if it's a scout defense and you put them in the positions that you hope the defense you're going against on Sunday will be in. You know, it still just feels good to let the ball rip, to to have run the play a few times, to have the vision and the, the memory and, and just going through it. When you don't get a chance to do that, you know, it's tough. And you, people listen, they be like, well, gosh, you don't practice every play in the playbook. No, you don't. But but there's plays in the playbook that never change. And those plays are so embedded. We've run them 300 times in the off season and in OTAs and in camp that you could do those in your sleep. But it's those ones you add late in a, in a week where, like I said, Shanahan would stay up and see him clip from a defense we were playing from four years ago where the safety was over here on the right hash and we have the middle open from the 22 yard line so we're going to run this play and to me it felt like you're chasing a ghost uh you know looking for one teeny coverage that they played one time four years ago uh to me it just seemed kind of ridiculous and and thankfully i had like i said kubiak was there to kind of be the buffer uh but but hey that's what you do as a quarterback you you, you do make adjustments on the field at times too where you just hey we, we got to run this play let's draw it up and you draw something up and it works and sometimes it doesn't but it's a it's a game of constantly you know trying to push yourself push the boundary and and beat the guy across from you however that can be done you try to do that jake i know i i feel like i'm killing you on time right now because i we're, we've been going longer you've been awesome so All far right, but man. i i i want to ask you because you said hey denver uh one of the high points playing meaningful football when your body's hurt and i, I think that's a good way to segue into what you're you're doing now and and you're you're always busy doing something there's some project that you're working on or, or you're hanging out with us at pac-12 network talking football with us but cwhemp.com and and uh, the realm of caring are are essentially one group it's kind of two groups that you've been working with explain sort of the mission and, and why you got involved well we the the guy ryan kingsbury worked for cw hemp uh came up with the idea to have a fundraiser and, and try to ultimately research and do some studies on on current and former players find out you know what they use to get through a season whether it be uh, you know, opioids or hyperbolic chambers or whatever it is to find out how these guys get through a season, what they do, how it affects them, how to how it, ter- it gets them on or off, keeps them on or off the field, injury recovery, all that. So he came up with the Bright Lights Fade campaign, which basically was was looking more even into former players and what we see day to day, what former players are going through. Uh, a lot of times. The, the fans out there don't see that. Um, you know, they don't do, a, you know, where are they now in Sports Illustrated of the guy that's living on the streets and damn near suicidal and, and having memory issues and lost his family and that kind of thing. You know, they don't want to paint that picture or portray that as a possible, you know, outcome or future you face for, as an NFL player. But being in, the, in this uh, arena now, looking at calling a lot of former players and being around a lot of these guys, some of these guys are in pretty bad shape, and and whether it's a direct re, direct, direct correlation to it, to being playing a violent sport, or is it possibly what they were using while they were playing this sport? Whether it was narcotics that they were given as a you know prescription for pain, or anti-inflammatories that that I took 
day in and day out just so I could stay on the field. Uh, you know, it, does that is that what's causing these guys to to maybe not live quite the life that we're, that we'd like to imagine them living post NFL career? Uh, so we want to find that out. We really want to go and and find out how former players are doing, what they used when they played, what they used outside of the game. Um, the current player study has been put on hold due to some issues just with uh, confidentiality. We want these guys to to be able to tell us everything they do, whether it's I keep mentioning opioids, you know, the Percocets, the Vicodins, or if they do use cannabis, which uh, we're coming to find out in this, you know, day and age right now that it has a lot of medicinal purposes. Even marijuana has medicinal purposes. Uh, I deal more on the hemp side of things, which is the CBD, the Charlotte's Web cannabidiol, which I've been taking for a year. has helped me tremendously with uh, inflammation in my body. Uh, memory issues, you know, like a lot clear, more clear-headed, no headaches I used to get, uh, an overall better sense of well-being. And so I, I want to extend that out to as many guys as I can to help them try to live a better life outside of the game. And, and meanwhile, while we work through the loop, the, the, the legalities of of the, where the plant stands, the cannabis plant is uh, scheduled a schedule one, you know, no, no drug substance, uh, and the NFL's policy on it is the same where guys are getting busted for it. But there is a lot of guys using it in the league for whether it be relaxing, partying, hanging out. They're using it for pain management, for stress, for anxiety, for sleep. And so ultimately in the grand scheme, Yammer, I want to make these guys, uh, I want to help, help these guys have a healthy option, an alternative form of medicine, not just what the doctors are giving them. As we all know, if you read a little bit about opioid abuse and use and, and, and anti-inflammatories, the damage they do to your internal organs. That could be what's leading these guys to maybe not live quite the life we all think they do outside of the game. And it's, it's great work, man. It's fun. You get to reconnect with a lot of buddies and old teammates and old opponents and offer them a supplement that's non-toxic, non-addictive, uh, all natural that, that might help them live a better life. So it's powerful stuff we're doing, and we're moving wow. in the right direction, and I'm happy to be a part of it. Well, the Realm of Caring website, by the way, is just www.theroc.us. What's the NFL's take on, on what you guys are doing? They, they, they think it's a good thing. Uh, you know, we've talked to Jeff Miller. We've talked to some guys up pretty high up in the, you know, with uh, the, the, the doctors that are looking into the concussions, the head, neck, and spine committee. We've talked to the NFLPA that, that you know, they're supposed to be working for the, for the players. They're more or less lawyers trying to make sure that, uh, the, the, that the players get as much as they can, don't get in trouble. And when they do get in trouble, they fight for their cause. But th there are both organizations see the merit in what we're doing. Uh, the, the status of the drug as it, or medicine, I keep as it stands, it's still labeled as a drug, you know, but it is a medicine, cannabis, whether it's marijuana or hemp. The, the where it stands right now is probably the biggest hang-up because, you know, players – you know, if they take CBD, there is a little bit of THC in it. There's trace amounts. It's, it's an entourage effect. They work good together. They help and do better things when you have both of them in your systems. Uh, there is the possibility players, you know, could have a positive test and face suspension. And so we can't have that. But as times change and as we keep moving forward and we can bring some empirical evidence back from our former player study, hopefully uh, before next season, you know, maybe we can get these current guys signed up um, all we want to do is good for the NFL. All we want to supply them with is research and studies that will help these players, you know, 
recover faster, uh, be more efficient, uh, live healthier, happier lives, and ultimately, um, with with you know cannabis and the cannabidiol, the CBD being patented by our U.S. government as a neuroprotectant and an anti-inflammatory already, hopefully it can help protect the brain. You know, something that a lot of guys uh, their issues stem from is just from hitting their heads against each other, and maybe not when they're 28 and retired or 32 and they're and retired, but when they get into their 40s and 50s, you start seeing a lot of guys suffering from dementia and memory loss, anger problems, and that, that all you know accumulates into usually losing your family and your, your your loved ones because you just don't you're just not a happy person. And me, I'm I'm man, I love what I did. I love playing football. It's put me in a position to do great things, and I want to help other guys try to feel the same way. Jake, I'm going to let you get going on this. You made reference to some of the guys that, you know, we, we've seen the movie Concussion. We've uh, we, we've read the stories. You just made reference to what happens to some guys when they leave the game. You made the conscious decision to say, hey, I'm I'm done. You had the opportunity to play. Uh, Tampa Bay wanted you to. You said, no, no, I'm, it's a wrap for me. At this point, I mean, you're a family guy. You got, you know, two little ones. You got a third on the way. Congratulations, by the way, about yeah, that. Thank you. W- what and I know you as a guy. I mean, you're you're showing me pictures. I know you love playing with the boys and and hanging out with them. For the guy that played the quarterback spot that took as many hits as you took, do you ever feel different or or maybe not how you thought you would feel at what are you forty one, forty two years of of age at this point? Because I know you're still 41. active. Forty-one. You're still playing handball. Are there things that you can't do, whether it's physical or mental, that that you would attribute to what you did as a player, or what happened to you while you were a player? Yeah, you you said it right. And the words that stood out are, "I took hits." You know, I I, I got hit. I I wasn't the one hitting people, uh, and there's a big difference. So you know, for me, I still my body took a lot of the beating, not necessarily my head. And and thank God I was able to move and contort and roll and fall and, and protect my head as best possible. My body definitely took a beating from my ankles, knees, all, hips, all the way up. Uh, but those things can, you know, at this point in my life, I understand the importance of stretching, of doing yoga, uh, of looking into alternative forms of medicine that are out there because it's really easy to take an anti-inflammatory and feel better. But the, the damage that's continuing to do to my body I just, I'm not for it anymore. I don't want to have any of that, those chemicals in my body. Um, I'm, I'm a really big pro- advocate of cannabis, whether it be CBD and, and marijuana, because there are health benefits to be achieved, especially for people uh, you know, like myself or even guys that did a lot of the hitting as they get older and are limited to what they can do. Sometimes it's just mentally being able to accept that I'm 41, that I already did some amazing stuff. I mean, I I played at a high high level, one of the greatest games ever invented. So now it's more or less uh, finding happiness and finding something that I enjoy, not trying to become the best handball player ever at age 41. And that that boat floated. I'm just trying to have fun, and whatever I do, I want to leave with a do it with a smile on my face and have fun while I'm doing it. And and that. Uh, getting these guys to find that, you know, and find that passion, find something they are involved in when their their careers are over is is really, uh, you know, what I hope to accomplish with this whole advocacy, let guys know there's other options out there. Uh, meanwhile, 
staying active is huge. I'm on my bike a lot. Uh, got two kids, two kids, one on the way to keep me on my feet and, uh, to be disappointed or upset and how the league treated me or how I left the league, you know, getting benched towards the end of my career, retiring. They still trade me to Tampa. I didn't want to play in Tampa. I was done, you know, not let that bother me because that was just part of the process. But to look back on what I did, know now that I can influence a lot of people in a real positive way and really, you know, own what I did. What I did was amazing. And and I never thought I would even play in the league and now I damn near accomplished my dream, Yam. I damn near won a Super Bowl. I got a chance to play for a Super Bowl. And from a little kid with that dream and the whole path I went on, man, I did so many fun things that uh, I'm so proud of it and what I've accomplished that I got to live, continue to live that life with that kind of personality and attitude and hope for the, to spread it to these guys that may not be feeling the same way. Well, Jake, hanging out with you is is a real treat for all of us here. Um, I know on, on Saturdays you were missed. I know it's been busy for you. We hope to still get you back with us uh, in studio at some point over the season because, as you made reference to, want to have fun, you make it fun for us. And, and I can't thank you enough for, for stopping by the podcast. Hey, Mike, I, I love doing it for you, man. You do a great job. And uh, I have fun with you guys too, man. You guys, uh, are, you're the professionals that help me kind of get serious on those Saturdays and uh, hone in a little bit. <laughs> So no, I've never, I don't know how many people will call us professionals um, or serious, but we will we will definitely take that as long as we're having fun on Saturdays. But but Jake, uh, in all seriousness, man, fantastic. Hey, thank you, Mike. It's great talking to you, man. And uh, like, hope to see you soon, man. I can't thank Jake enough for popping on the show. Absolutely fantastic job by him. Uh, and before we wrap things up real quick here, I know we started off the show making reference to the Bose giveaway, the QC35 headphones, which are Bluetooth, they're noise cancellation. Gotta love the wireless ability that they do have. And for you to get your pair, all you have to do, rate, subscribe, and review the Gimme a Sense podcast on iTunes. Kevin Connors is going to be the last guest of the month. And Kev's going to pick a number between one and however many reviews that I have on iTunes at the point of of us recording that show. And uh, whatever number he picks, whoever wrote that review, I will send you a brand new pair of QC35s. They are $350, but they are the best headphones that I have ever owned. Once again, really appreciate you listening, subscribing, downloading, and and writing that review. Uh, Even if you don't win the headphones, still appreciate the support. You can find me on Twitter at Mike underscore Yam or on Facebook. The Facebook page is just Mike Yam. Thanks again.